Last week, we looked at Mary's song, and this week, we're looking at Zechariah's song. Now, I said last week, I asked the question, what, what traditions could you not, what traditions, what was the question? Does anyone remember? <laughs> what traditions could you imagine Christmas without? Maybe some of you could imagine Christmas without turkey, a tree, mince pies. I could imagine Christmas without the, the monarch's speech. So for as long as I can remember, the big moment in my house on Christmas Day is three o'clock. Truly, my mum would make us sit and watch the Queen's speech. But as I said last uh, Sunday evening, I, I don't think we should ever imagine Christmas without carols. Because as we saw with Mary's song, she sang the first carol before Christ was born. Son of God would tabernacle in her womb, and it led her to sing his praise. Well, this morning we're going to look at Zechariah's song. Now, you might all say, is it a song? Is it not a prophecy? Is he filled by the Spirit? Well, let me show you why tradition has it received it as a song of blessing um, as we work our way through it. The thing I want you to notice as we begin looking at this song is that there in verse 68, there's the word visited. And then in the penultimate verse of this song, there is the word visit. And if you go to the Psalms, and if you want to try and figure out what's the theme of this Psalm, all you need to do is look at the start of the Psalm and then the end of the Psalm. So if a, start, a Psalm starts with the words, praise the Lord, and then it ends with the words, praise the Lord, that means it's a song of praise. If a Psalm starts and somewhere in the first line it says, thanks be to God, and in the last line or near the end it says, thanks be to God, it's a song of thanksgiving. And we come to this song, and it starts with, God has visited, and it ends with, God shall visit. Or John will visit is actually the, the picture, but God is ultimately visiting. And in other words, this is a song about the visitation of God. This is a song where Zechariah blesses God for coming to earth. And the reason I think that's so beautiful and so apt is because as we stand today on Christmas Eve, this was a song that was sung, as it were, on the eve of Christ's birth. Not the day before Christ was born, but certainly in the days before Christ was born. Now, if you were here last, uh, if you were here on Wednesday night when we were at the prayer meeting, we, we did a devotion in the verses just immediately before this song. And the question on everybody's lips was this, what then will this child be? What will become of John the Baptist? The second part of this song Zechariah answers that question. What will become of John the Baptist? So this song has two simple sections. In the first section, verses 68 to 75, Zechariah blesses God for God's own son, Jesus. In the second section, verses 76 to 79, Zechariah blesses God for his God-given son, John the Baptist. And it may well be the case that this prophecy came from his heart, inspired by the Holy Spirit, at the circumcision service. So picture a group of people standing all around as he makes these words known. Now, I think it is truly astonishing that the man who did not believe when he was told by the angel Gabriel 
that he would have a son called John the Baptist came to not only believe, but understand that God was coming in the flesh. That's how the song begins. Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. How did Zechariah join the dots? How did Zechariah come to see and understand that God was coming to visit in redemption? Well, think about it. He had nine long months where he could not speak. Nine long months where he was left with his own thoughts for most parts of many days. The text doesn't tell us this, but you can well imagine that with the time he had, he must have replayed over and over again Gabriel's message to him. Zechariah, your wife will bear a son. His name will be John. He will be great. He will turn the hearts of the children towards their fathers. He will come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Now, we need to know that Zechariah was a priest. He knew the Old Testament inside and outside. The last time God had spoken to his people through a spirit-inspired prophet was in Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 3, God said, Behold, I am sending you a messenger. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, God said of this messenger that was to come, it's the last statement in the Old Testament, this messenger will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of children to their fathers. He will prepare the way for the Lord. And you can well imagine that as Zechariah meditated on those words, it dawned on him that the child to be born to him and Elizabeth was signaling the advent of God himself. I know in my household there are two little kids who are really excited for tomorrow. He's shaking his head, <laughs> but he is, he woke up this morning and the first thing he said, it's Christmas Eve. <laughs> Can you imagine the excitement that must have filled the soul of Zechariah when it dawned on him that God was coming to visit his people in redemption? Can you imagine the joy that must have filled his heart when he realized that God's long-promised, long-anticipated, redemptive purposes were coming to pass? Now, so striking is Zechariah's conviction that this is coming to pass, that when he speaks, he speaks actually of a future event in the past tense. We call it the prophetic past tense. He's so sure and certain that God is coming to visit his people that he says, blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He speaks of it, he speaks of it as if it has already happened. Because Zechariah's heart now firmly believes what God has said is coming to pass. Now, today... It might be a busy day in your household. It might be a busy day in your house and in your life as you get ready for tomorrow. 
Can I give one point of application that I think we could draw from Zechariah's experience? Do you know what would do your soul a whole lot of good if you're going to celebrate tomorrow, not just the food and the fun and the presents, but if you're going to celebrate the Savior who came? Take some time in silence. Take, a time, take some time today alone with the Lord, with his word, to connect the dots of who it is we are celebrating who it is that came to visit in redemption. I don't think it's a mistake that in Psalm 46, the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. You see, in the hustle and the bustle and in the rush of Christmas, we can sometimes get so caught up that we don't take the time to be silent and celebrate within our souls the God who was born as a babe in Bethlehem. As we move from verse 68 to 69, Zechariah moves from speaking about God visiting his people in redemption to speaking about Jesus as the horn of salvation. Now, in many ways, you could take this prophecy or this song of Zechariah and you could take it and put it in Psalm 133 and it would fit perfectly. It's got the whole language of a psalm and a song. It's got the images of the Old Testament and and very few images of the New Testament. Even the language of visitation. You don't read that much in the New Testament, but you read that all over the Old Testament. God visited people in the greatest moment in Exodus when he delivered them from slavery and bondage. And now we read about this image taken from the Old Testament that The Son of God is the horn of salvation. Now, apart from Psalm 132, can you think of where horn is mentioned in the Old Testament? If you're a diligent reader of Scripture, you should say everywhere in the Old Testament. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, everywhere. Because on the altar of sacrifice, what's in the four corners but horns? When atonement is made, where is the blood of bulls, goats, and lambs daubed on? On the horns. So this image of horn, first of all, it's it's all throughout the Pentateuch because there, in the place of atonement, are the horns of sacrifice. But do you remember where else the word horn appears? 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah, in her song, she praises the Lord and says, in the Lord, my horn is lifted high. She's this amazing sense that God, in giving her Samuel, has given her a son who's going to be powerful and victorious in the purposes and plans of God. But that's not the only place you read about horn. You read about it all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and and the horn of my salvation. You read about it in 2 Samuel. David, speaking with regards to Saul, that God will defend him and God will defeat his enemies. Now, I'm saying all of this because you need to know that this image that Zechariah appropriates is because he's made the connection of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who's come to shed his blood. 
so that forgiveness will be possible for his people. Jesus is the one who should be lifted high because he's the victorious conquering king. He's the strength and might and arm of God. Jesus is the one in whom God's people can take their refuge because he's a stronghold of his people's lives. Zechariah's meditation in those nine months of silence must have been something quite remarkable because he realizes that the son who was to be born to Mary was the one who was prophesied and foreshadowed all throughout the Old Testament. So he, he blesses God that he's visiting his people in redemption. He blesses God as the horn of salvation. And now Zechariah does what he does next is he blesses God for keeping his promises. This is like Psalm 132. Look at verses 70 through 73. He, he says, this is what God had promised to people. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. One of the things that Zechariah makes the connection is that in God in giving his son Jesus was keeping all the promises he'd made to his, to his prophets, to our fathers, and the oath that he'd made to Abraham. You know, it really captured the affections and the attention of Zechariah was God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. All the hopes of all the years were met in Jesus and in his coming. And Zechariah rejoiced in that. Now, one thing I didn't point out is that when you look at Mary's song and then you look at Zechariah's song, they're both in the same chapter. There's many similarities. Both of them appropriate the language of the Old Testament and use imageries of the Old Testament. But there's many differences between these two songs. Mary starts praising Jesus and then leads to praising the things in the nation. Zechariah's song starts in the reverse order, praises God's son for the nations and then focuses on his own son, John the Baptist. And there's one glaring difference. And it's this line in verse 40, 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve the Lord without fear. Now that's a glaring line because in verse 50 of Mary's song we read his mercy is for those who fear him. Zechariah says we're to serve the Lord without fear. Mary says we're to fear the Lord. So which one is it? Can both of these statements be true? Of course, the answer is yes. You see, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We know that the call of the psalmist is to unite our hearts to fear the Lord, which means to hold God in awe and reverence. And Mary, knowing that God was being born to her, feared the Lord. She held him in awe and reverence. But Zechariah understands the other side of it. 
Anyone who comes to know God's son, Jesus Christ, need not live in fear of death, need not live in fear of God's punishment or God's condemnation. Because Jesus, God's son, brings complete forgiveness, full redemption. Jesus, God's own son, brings such transformation that in verse 75, we live all our days before him in holiness and righteousness. So we don't serve the Lord with fear. We serve the Lord with joy. And Zechariah in this song, as he blesses God for God's own son, Jesus, he understands the transformation he came to make. So that's the first half of this song. Now, now the second half of this song, Zechariah turns and he blesses God for his God-given son, John the Baptist. There's something about the wording in this verse 76 that you get the feeling that maybe in this service where um, John the Baptist had just been circumcised and given his name John, that Zechariah took him up and in front of the congregation, he, the priest, said, and you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. And then in front of all the people who were asking the question, what shall become of this child? Zechariah says, you want to know? Here goes. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. This is fascinating. All the focus is actually not on John the Baptist, but it's on his ministry to prepare the way for the Lord. And John the Baptist's ministry will be to proclaim that Jesus comes to bring the forgiveness of sins for his people. And John will be the first herald of that good news to prepare the way for the Lord. That's not all that John the Baptist will do. Zechariah continues and he says, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Now we read that again, it's like, what does that mean? Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, the son of righteousness will come with healing in his wings. He heard John, he hears Zechariah makes a connection that because of the mercy of our great God, God's son of righteousness is about to visit us from on high and it will be John the Baptist who will announce the son of righteousness is coming with healing on his wings. And what's he coming to do? To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. You know what I love about Zechariah's song? Is that his meditation in his silence was so rich and so deep that he sees clearly why Jesus came into this world. And he understood clearly what the ministry of his son was to announce. Jesus comes to proclaim forgiveness. Jesus comes to bring light to those in darkness. Jesus comes to lead us in the way of peace. And so on this Christmas Eve, here's my question for you. As we meditate on Jesus, what's your response? You know the fascinating thing about Luke chapter 1? We have Elizabeth exclaiming, 
songs of praise. He cut, he's come and he's taken my disgrace from me. We have Mary magnifying the name of the Lord in her song, the Magnificat. We have a baby jumping for joy in, the, in his mother's womb because he's in the presence of Jesus. And now we have old Zechariah blessing God in the service of public worship. Do you know what Luke chapter 1 pictures for us then? Is a whole congregation celebrating Jesus Christ visiting this world for redemption. And so how do we prepare for Christmas? How do we prepare, as it were, to celebrate the news that Christ is born? Well, can you jump for joy? Can you exclaim and magnify? Can you bless God's name? Because that is the most appropriate response. But that will only be your response if you believe the truth if you turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. And even as a saved sinner, that will only be your response if you take the time to be still and to know who he is. So let's sing for joy. Let's jump for joy. Christ was born to us. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you that on this, the Lord's Day and on this Christmas Eve, we gather here this morning to meditate and to reflect deeply from your word on who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. We thank you that we can take the words of Zechariah's song or prophecy and we can say he has visited and he has redeemed, that it is a past event. And as we look back, we are conscious that we are also those who are called to look forward because Christ is coming again for those who believe in him so that we can be with him forevermore in a redeemed world. And so we pray, O oh God, that this Christmas Eve, that you would recalibrate our hearts and souls to be in step with the tune of Luke chapter 1. May we sing loudly, passionately, enthusiastically. May we jump with joy within because God was born to us in Bethlehem. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.